The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. Right. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, I'm joined today by uh, Brandon Hall of the Music City 911 podcast. I'm super excited for this interview. I, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but I was a fireman for 16 years. Uh, so Delta. Oh Lock. yeah, yeah. That was my that was my profession before I did this. So uh, know quite a bit about the the 911 dispatchers. Those have got to be our buddies over the over the years. So uh, looking forward to breaking some of this stuff down with you. Um, are you still you're still currently a dispatcher, right? Yeah, I'm currently a dispatcher. I literally just got here about 10 minutes ago from work, and I'm still in my uniform shirt. So yeah. Right, and so Music City nine one one. You're a, you're a dispatcher in Nashville. Uh, how long have you been a dispatcher? Uh, twenty two years now. Twenty two years now. Is that the city of Nashville, or is it one of the surrounding areas? Uh, we actually do the entire county. It's Davidson County. It's a metro area, so it takes up the entire county. But it's all Nashville and the entire Davidson County area. So we, you know, we uh, do about uh, five hundred ninety square miles, and you know, during the day, probably over a million uh, people in in town. So it's it can get kind of busy. Jesus, how many people do you guys have working in the in the dispatch center during any given day? Do you work day shift? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm day shift now. Thankfully, uh, I've worked every shift though. Uh, during the day, we're somewhere between probably twenty five and thirty. God. That's a that's yeah. That includes uh, what thirteen or fourteen radio positions. So at any given time, we you know ten, maybe twelve people on the phones answering for the whole city. God, that's that's insane. So so what do they they you guys have a you're a little bigger dispatch center than what we had here. So so does one person take the calls and then they send it to a radio operator, or are you like just reading like their prompts on a screen and you're relaying them to the radio? Yeah, we uh, we have what we call a linear system. So it's uh, instead of us doing everything all together, which would be nearly impossible with the kind of radio traffic we have on the radios, mm-hmm. the call taker will sit on the phone with the person and send the, the call up to the dispatch. And then from there, they actually dispatch out the units, whether it's police or fire, EMS, whatever like that. So do you guys, because um, a lot of people don't, I mean, we're going to obviously get into the podcast, but a lot of people don't know what, what what's yeah. going on when they call 911 behind the scenes. That's a lot of what you, you you share in the podcast, but, you know, by breaking down certain cases and calls. But so so when someone calls, you guys are split up now. Are you guys broken up? Do you have some that are fire dispatchers, some that are police dispatchers, some that are EMS, or is it mix and match? Yeah, we actually have uh, we have a police side, and then we have a fire side, and the fire side deals with fire and EMS, and uh, on the police side, we have... I'd say, I think it's nine or 10, I'd have to think in my head, <laughs> uh, police dispatchers for different areas of the county. Mm-hmm. And then we have four dispatchers over on the fire side, and they pretty much take the entire county. And do you guys have it set up to you? Because I don't think people realize, unless they've listened to a scanner, especially in a big metro area, how con- especially on the police side, how constant the traffic is. Like, I can't believe, like... Yeah. Yeah, in Berrien County, Michigan, where I'm from, you know, there's lulls where you could, you know, they could sit back and have a sandwich and one of the dispatchers might be able to chill. I can't imagine there's any downtime where there's not somebody talking all the time. 
Well, it, it kind of depends. It depends on a lot of different factors. Uh, the first thing is uh, what time of day it is. You know, like midnight shift, it could be, you know, Tuesday night in the middle of winter on the midnight shift. You might not have anyone say anything for, you know, several minutes. Mm-hmm. On second shift during the summer, yeah, it's constant. It's no nonstop and kind of the same way on uh, first shift too. But it, it depends on the season and what's going on and what day of the week it is. And, you know, truth be told, some of them, you know, some of the older officers, I guess you could say like that, and they'll, uh, They'll be on the radio and, you know, they'll, they'll take their calls and everything, but there's just not many of them and they're kind of in a more rural area of town and it's just not quite as busy. So you can be balls to the wall on one radio and then sitting right next to you, the guy's just twiddling his thumbs. Right. Now, when you guys dispatch a call, do you see in our, in our dispatch? So to give you an idea of how small we were in this county, we had, I think, six dispatchers working at a time for the whole county. Okay. Uh, which sometimes yeah. would be enough, but then it would be, especially if there was a large fire event, which we, you know, we use the, um, a box alarm system, but for us, it's mutual aid because yeah. there's a bunch of small departments instead of like Metro Nashville that has one huge department. But you start rolling yeah. in a bunch of units and shit goes bananas and everybody's, you know, trying to pick up the slack all, all the time. They'd be understaffed. For you guys, do you, when you dispatch a call, like, so if you, are you on the police or the fire side? I do all of it. You do all of it. So it just depends. Yeah, we do. You, yeah, we do all. Okay. Yeah, they give us different assignments every day. Like today, I was on the phones all day. Yesterday, I was on a uh, police radio. Tomorrow, I may be on a fire radio. It's different every single day. So you go in there and you get you get put on a radio and say there's a dis. So like I'm working a case right now and it was a stru- came in as a structure fire, ended up being a homicide. But you know, there's, yeah. a, there's a structure fire. You dispatch it. You dispatch the units. Are you then locked into that call till it's over, or do you move on? Then other dispatchers just pick up when somebody's calling in. Well, on like the fire side, the way we do it, we've got uh, our first dispatch. All literally, all they do is they dispatch out the calls as they come in because it's it's generally so busy and they're putting out the calls. They go from there to a secondary radio, mm-hmm. and that second radio that we have there, that's more of a you know, it's a kind of a catch all. They they take small incidents where there's uh, three or fewer units on that incident, so wrecks and fire alarms, things like that, uh, medical calls. But if there's a big incident, we have a dedicated radio over there, and they catch kind of overflow from the second radio if they get too busy. Okay. That one radio, it's not just the one incident. If if you've got, say, you've got an apartment fire, a house fire, a rollover with a pin in, and you know all these other things, you've got all those things going on on separate radios, and you got to monitor every single one of them. It could be really, really busy. I've I've been sitting there before, literally with a headset on and uh, having the phone to my other ear. And I had six walkies in front of me, all with different things. I had a train derailment. I had a rollover. There was an apartment fire that just got hit by lightning. It was after a storm. Had all that going at the same time. You have to be able to monitor every single one of them and, you know, be typing in what's going on at the same time. So it was, it can, it can be really, really stressful like that. Then you got the asshole fireman on the other end getting irritated because, (laughs) because you don't, you don't remember all the details about their call when they call in for something. No, it's, it's not necessarily, uh, that route. What the, one of the problems we have kind of is locating the, the people. Now Uh I'll give you kind of a funny story. I was on the phones one time and it was a woman called and I got her on the phone and she says, well, I, I've called about this, this, uh, bus that's on fire out in our parking lot. She was calling from a waffle house. Uh-huh. Parking lot's not that big. And it's right there off the interstate on a pretty major street that we have. She says the, the fire department just drove by us. And I was like, okay, well, maybe they didn't see it. So I pull up the call and I look at it and it says a tour bus, you know, huge tour bus with flames shooting out of the top of it, 10 feet uh-huh. off the top of this tour bus. And I said, well, let me, let me get them turned back around, get them back around to you. And I'll, I'll stay on the phone and make sure they find you. So she says, okay, oh, they're turning around. Okay, good. And they just drove right by again. So 
<laughs> it's, I mean, they finally find it, uh, you know, a couple minutes later, they turned around. I guess they may have saw it, but there's no mistake in this. this. So it really was a tour bus with 10 foot high flames. Yes, it really was. We had dozens of people calling in about it. Uh, you know, and this is a fire engine that's, that's driving by and there's three or four firemen inside. I have no idea how they missed it twice. I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. I've had the opposite experience with with cops on scene that you know they always get out there in front of us oh, yeah. and then they wanna they wanna help. I had a similar call. It was actually a it was an R V fire, but ripping fire. You could see the plume of black oh, yeah. smoke from miles away. And I'm some rolling in as I turn the corner onto the street. There's a cop standing in the middle of the street waving his arms at me, going, Is right here <laughs> driving up next to him going, You don't mean the Big ass RV that's ripping in flames. Do you? Is that the thing that I'm supposed to go yeah. to? Get out of the way! You know, he's standing there telling me where to go. You actually, you saying that actually uh, brought up another kind of funny story too that I, I've had. That's uh, uh, my old co-host, and he's he was a dispatcher for 40 years, and he retired. And uh-huh. um, but anyway, he took a call a long, long time ago. This is uh, before cell phones were really a big thing, so most people were still calling from their house phone. Uh-huh. So this guy calls in, and he's he's just he's frantic. He says, "Oh man, my my." house is on fire please send somebody over here please come quick and he's just going on through the normal motions uh-huh. and you know uh, guy says he's like well what's the address he goes man i live on 17th avenue please just hurry up please hurry up mm-hmm. and he continues on trying to get the actual numerical for the address over and over again and finally the guy goes look just send the fire department up 17th avenue i guarantee you i'm the only motherfucker whose house is on fire right now <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> Oh god! You know it's it's especially you being in for twenty two years and, and him forty. Like there's so many changes in technology. Like when I started at the fire department, this is back in two thousand. Yeah, that's when I started. Yeah, we were further behind than we should have been. So our department was the we're, we were the bi- biggest and busiest department in the county, and we were self dispatch and we're combination right. So we've got paid staff at the station, and we also have volunteers that would work carry pagers and go meet us at home. Yeah, or from home they would carry their gear and their trucks with us and come out to help fight the fire. And the way it would work for them and the dispatchers hated it. And actually when I, when I promoted up is when I finally got us over to where you, the County was dispatching us. But the way it would work was someone would call nine one one, you know, dispatch answers. They say, my house is on fire. And they say, okay, hang on. Let me transfer you to the fire department. And then they would transfer yeah. a phone call to us. Did you guys ever have that system that's still in place when you were working? Actually, yeah. When when I started there, I was hired as a police-only dispatcher. Okay. We were all dispatching the same building. The fire department was upstairs. They did all their fire and EMS stuff upstairs. And I think it was maybe uh, two years after I started, they did a consolidation where we would take them all. And it's I think overall it's worked better. Yeah, it has to. It's so much more efficient. Because for us, it wasn't even like they transferred the call to a fire dispatch center. They transferred the call to the fire station, and we had this red, we called it the bat phone, <laughs> the fire phone. We had this red phone that when uh, the dispatch would call that number, horns went off and everything. And so you're not dealing with a dispatcher sitting at a desk. You're dealing with a overweight fireman sleeping at 3 in the morning, and and you'd, we'd wake up. <laughs> answer the phone fire department and then they'd say okay tell them what you got and then the people would tell us what's going on we'd ask all the questions that we needed to ask the station i was in was a two-story station with the living quarters upstairs oh that make it even worse yeah and it used to have a fire pole like a lot of old stations did okay. but then the insurance companies made us take out the fire poles and so we had to the build now this is before my time the firemen built stairs to get downstairs <laughs> 
and they built them. None of the tread lengths were the same. None of the riser heights were the same. It was just these rinky dinky stairs coming down from up, from up there. So imagine three in the morning, the horn goes off. You jump out of bed. Your heart's racing a mile a minute. Answer it. They tell you it's a house fire. Now the radio for us to dispatch our volunteers and the rest of the department is downstairs. So then you quick get your clothes on and try to run down those ganky stairs. And then we used to call there was at the landing, there was a wall right there that we used to call the, the brakes because you go down. I had one time <laughs> I was bruised so bad. I went to run down the stairs. I'm still wearing my socks, slipped, slid on my ass all the way down the stairs, hit the end, bounced and hit my knee and forehead on the wall on the other side of it. And get back up go down and then dispatch the call and try to sound like a dispatcher. Oh, my goodness. Niles firefighters, you know, go to blah, 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 dress for a structure fire, and then run out and put my gear on and get in the truck and drive with my head swollen and bleeding down in my eyes, <laughs> my knees all scuffed up, <laughs> ass bruised. So, yeah, that was that was our system for the first oh, seven years that I worked at the apartments, so all the way up to about 2007, I think, is when we finally switched to where you guys, the dispatchers would just, you know, dispatch the call like you're trained to do instead of us. I, I couldn't even understand, like, trying to trying to do that. Luckily, we've never had anything like that. We don't have volunteers up there. The closest we have to a volunteer where I work is our rehab unit, which, you know, they go up and give right. you know, water, refreshments, things like that. And that's completely, invol- uh, totally volunteer. And uh, I got a couple of friends that work there. Yeah, it's it's all full time people. So, uh, but all the neighboring counties all have that. Yeah, yeah. Hit the department, then just got to listen for all the trucks to go on route, and that's that can yeah. get exhausting too. I'm sure because you have. So I worked part time at another department across the border that we, and we had five stations, all 100 percent full time, and all those rigs. And it was, you just hear it when we would get dispatched to a call, it'd be five minutes of engine 41, engine 42, engine 11. Truck two, truck, and just one after another, after another, after another, all going en route, announcing when they get on scene. And that's why I was wondering when you guys, if you like lock into a call, because then we'd get the dispatch reports and it would have the time stamps for every single truck when they get there. Like, how do you guys keep track of that if you have multiple people working the call? See, we we have, like from what you're talking about, we've advanced way past that. Um, we've come up with a, our own kind of system. Uh, the initial engine, the first responder that checks in route, that's the person that checks in route. The other right. units, they can check in route, but they don't have to. Uh-huh. We also have a, uh, on in each one of the, the units now, they have an SME, which is a, uh, it's just a push button type thing. They mm-hmm. set that up at the beginning of their shift and it, if they're in route, they hit their in route button. Okay. They don't have to say anything at all. Um, inside their, uh, their halls, they have what's called a Terran run. So it's a printer that prints off a copy of the, right. the call that we just sent to them. They've got the address, uh, a brief explanation and a cross street. So they can literally just tear it off and run to their, their truck their yeah. engine and get out there. We had the same so thing. We, we called it a rip and run. <laughs> same thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same works And it. You know, something like that. It's, uh, it's, it's streamlined everything. It, it, you know, any technology, it brings on more challenges too, but overall from what, you know, we started when we, when I first started in the fireside, it was exactly like you said, everybody wanted to talk, everybody wanted to check Mm -hmm. them out. And if there was a big incident, you know, two, three alarm fire, you'd have 40 units out there on it. And it'd be way too many uh, people to talk and they all wanted to talk and wouldn't follow any good command structure or anything like that. So yeah, it's, it's a big deal now. Yeah, it, it, I used to actually teach a class on communications, trying to get people to say less for the dispatch. You know, yeah. I, I used to always go through. It's like when you get on the on on the radio and say, you know, you know, 
county from engine two, go ahead, uh, be advised that I blah, 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 blah. Just say, listen, just, just advise them. Just say it. Don't say be advised. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to advise them that you're about to advise them. You're just wasting fucking radio space when somebody else wants to get on the radio. And we have all yeah. these like rules that they should stop doing because they heard someone else do it. So they do it. Yeah. Radio etiquette is a constant, constant pain in my ass. I, I, I would like for it to, you know, for there to be a, a kind of a blanket type thing where you only say this and to a degree there is, but th- there's always something extra they want to, to do. And it's, it's not necessarily the fault of them. If we only had one or two incidents going on on a single radio, it'd be fine. I mean, talk all day. It doesn't matter. But our second dispatch where the, the kind of normal calls go to, mm-hmm. we're running anywhere from probably 10 to 15 calls at a single time, each one of them with two to three units on the call. Right. You get all those people talking at the same time and you can't even get the airtime. Yeah. And that's what we were always, I was always trying to teach was less where you wouldn't think that those, you know, be advised those extra words matter, but they add up when there's 25 people doing it at once. Absolutely. They do. I mean, anything like that. But I, I love all the new technology that's out because I've been out of the I, I, I retired air quotes early retirement and uh, end of 2015. So I'm, I'm about seven years out of the out of the game. But it's such a long way. So when I started, we had that fire phone. They had a cassette recorder. <laughs> that that that, re, that recorded the the fire phone calls and one of my first days on on duty my chief had me he's like well go back and pull out some of those old tapes and listen to them so you can hear how to do you know get an idea of how we do the dispatch and so I'm I'm listening through and about the third tape I get through there's a guy that we affectionately refer to as Pigpen um <laughs> that for, you can imagine all the reasons why uh we call uh, him Pigpen. Yeah, he gets on the mic. His name was Mike. He gets on the on the phone and he's like, "Fire department!" And I said, "I said, well, my house is on fire. There's flames coming out the windows, and i I can't find my I can't find my husband." And he goes, "You're shitting me." <laughs> that was our profession. That's what happens when you have professional dispatchers. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine what would happen now for something like that if somebody said that. Oh yeah, and she's just like, "No, I'm not shitting you. Like, there's really my house on fire." <laughs> Like go right along with it. Like, no, I'm I'm not joking at all. It's, it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's awesome. So, um, so the pie is, so you, you've, you've been dispatching and anybody, anybody in the emergency services has stories forever. Uh, and I can, I I can imagine from the dispatch side, it's because you get them all, you get to be a part of all of all those stories. So how did you get the idea to create the podcast, the, the music, uh, music city, nine one one? Well, it's, it's kind of. You know, I've had people tell over the years, like, oh, you should write a book or, you know, things like that. People have wrote books and uh, I started kind of looking around and uh, truth be told, like the with the true crime kind of podcast, I didn't really listen to podcasts at all before I started doing this. Okay. Uh, I I knew what they were and, you know, kind of what they involved, but I didn't really know how to craft one. I didn't know anything about the recording. I, I knew nothing. I had to teach all, myself all this stuff mm-hmm. and it just kind of. It's, you know, over the past couple of years, it's kind of formed uh, kind of a, I guess, a formula that I like, but getting into it, I was like, uh, you know, just get in. And like I said, the guy that was uh, originally co-host with me, we just got on there and we'd chat back and forth bullshit and we'd, uh, we'd maybe play a call or two and we talk very little about the, the actual case itself and just kind of focus in on the dispatch. Mm-hmm. And now I've moved it to where it's, uh, you know, I, I focus on the dispatch. Yes. Every single episode has now one calls. And we talk about what the dispatch does and all that, but they'll also add in certain case details. I won't do a deep dive like, you know, some of these others, like, like your, you know, your podcast, which by the way, I, I've listened to a few episodes of that and I'm amazed at what kind of links you go to for some of this stuff. It's, it's really, really cool. 
Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty exhausting sometimes, but it's. I would imagine. I, I I can't help but just keep picking at the puzzle when I start digging into one. I I could never do like episodic episode. Yeah, I do a little bit for true crime binge here, but on yeah, truth and justice, I I couldn't do it because I always have to know more. So you know, I spend a year talking about the case instead of an episode. Yeah, see, like my latest episode, I I went over uh, two separate cases in in that one episode and. They were roughly the same kind of case, both home invasions. Uh, both had really rough calls with them. Uh, both the results were very bad. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I do. Like a lot of, uh, true crime podcasters in general, they will, they will find a case that they want to kind of lock into. And whereas I do it a little bit differently, I start with the 911 call. That's my focus on the front end. And from there, I, I bring the case in afterwards. Yeah, and that's in the way you handle that. Seems it's it's kind of like the way you handle your job, right? You can't you can't sit there and focus in on whatever horrible call you had at nine in the morning because at ten in the morning another one's coming in that you got to focus on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, today I was on the phones, and I I don't know. I'd, I'd venture to say I probably took at least a hundred calls during the day while I was there, and uh, they they varied anywhere from you know several people in uh, like little parking lot accidents and stuff like that, all the way up to. Uh, somebody got stabbed. So, I mean, it's, you know, any, any different second, you're going to get a different kind of call. Yeah. And now do you, do you guys have to get trained in all the, the incident management systems so that you can help the, the incident managers on the scene, the commanders to get organized? Yeah, we, we have that. And we, luckily for us, it's most of that is on the fire side, on, on the police side, most incidents, they don't get big enough for that. But when they do, it's, it's pretty much everyone reports to a certain command. Right. The fire department actually does have their command structure set up pretty well. The police department, they follow it decently well, but they don't involve us on the radio so much. Whereas on the fire side, we do, they will, they'll have their incident commander and then they'll have their incident branches where you'll have, uh, you know, say a fire branch and a medical branch. And mm-hmm. then if they, if it gets even more past that, they'll request separate radio channels for each one of the branches and they'll all report back to the central command and kind of do it like that. And that's what happened, you know, with a lot of the, the really big calls that we have. If it's, you know, two alarm fire or something like that with nobody hurt, they can handle it pretty much on one radio. But mm-hmm. if it gets to a really big thing where there's a lot of patients or, you know, just kind of a wide scale incident, they'll have to branch out to all the different tiers of uh, radios and uh, different command staff, things like that. Yeah. It's uh, the fire department of is historically around the country has always seemed to have been much better at operating the, or, or more consistent in operating the actual NIMS incident management system and breaking things down on the scene and organizational structures. They kind of have to, because if you get, um, you know, say you get a, uh, a shooting on the police side, you get out there and you'll probably have, you know, four or five police officers there. You'll get a, a sergeant, maybe a lieutenant shows up or something like that. And they're just, you know, just some guys talking to each other. Mm-hmm. There's no necessary assignment. I mean, one person might say, Hey, just watch this, make sure nobody goes in that area away for the detectives. It's, it's pretty simple. Whereas when you have a big fire, it's going on, it's active. It's right now, all this stuff. And you have to have someone to assign all the different units. You have to have someone over, over the safety side, you know, to make sure that everybody's, you know, in and out of the, the place that's on fire i mean there's there's lots getting more going on, on the fire side than the police side when it comes to an actual incident command yeah and you kind of have to because the there's also you can't see everyone because you got guys that are inside yeah. the fire and guys behind the fire and there's all the strategies and tactics but we used to every time we'd have like something like a hazmat incident or a big car accident where we had to work with the 
with the cops and we would, we would always end up arguing about the incident management system because they, because of the nerd normal operations, didn't have to use it all the time where we used it every yeah. day. And so we'd end up usually, usually what ended up happening was because I was a fire chief at the, t- when I became the fire chief is I ended up being the one drawing all the charts and creating the organization for the cop that was in charge and then running radios for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that can be uh that can be pretty hectic, I guess, if you're trying to do it on both sides like that. So are you, are you guys a division? Cause a lot like around in Michigan, especially a lot of dispatch centers, they are a division of the police department or sheriff's department. Are you guys independent or are you part of the, the fire department or police department? We're actually independent now. Um, back when, uh, we consolidated, we became our own agency, so to speak. So, um, we still have, uh, you know, our, our line is about the same as the police fire department. So we have our own director and he would be essentially the chief and he's, you know, the same across the board as the say chief of police or the you know fire chief. Mm-hmm. So we're independent completely. And we, we operate on our own. Uh, obviously we're hand in hand with the police and fire department, but you know, as I said earlier, when I first started, I was a police dispatcher. I was hired by the police department, but okay. once we did that, I've moved over to our own. So we're the department of emergency communications. Nice. All right. So let's, let's dig into the, to the podcast. The, um, the nine one one calls you pl- you play in the cases you have, where do you get access to the, are those all through your department? Or are you filing FOIA requests to get these nine one one calls? How do you get access to all the the calls? There's there's a lot of different ways that uh, I get them once they're released by whatever agency they're public records. So right. um, you can just you can pick them up wherever and and use them as you need to. That's the easiest way. But there are some instances I've had to go through and ask in my own agency or send uh, requests to other agencies if I'm really wanting a certain call. I'll go that route. Um, but yeah, for, for my thing, if, if it's already been released, that makes it a lot easier on my end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't actually have to file, file a request. Someone else has already done it. So right. once that it's just open at that point. So are, are you, are you picking the call first and then looking for the tapes from that? Or are you going through tapes to find the calls and the incidents that you want to talk about? A little bit of both. Okay. And it, it really depends. Um, you know, if I have a certain type of episode in mind, like last night I was doing the home invasion type thing. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to try to find home invasions to to play and see if I can find something that will have good audio on the, the now on one end, something that would, you know, kind of spur your thought, I guess, mm-hmm. and really let you get deep into it. And, uh, something where you obviously you can highlight the dispatcher some, and then talk about the case along with it. So, you know, mine, I guess would be a little bit different than most other podcasts where, like I said, I don't do a deep dive, but I, I'll absolutely want to have as many details as I can. That's relevant to the case. That way, if there's an ending to it, I can say how it got there. Right. And you know, like the, the last call we did, it was a call that just got released. I think four or five days ago, I believe it was, it was a home invasion down in, uh, it was, I can't remember the name of the city. It's in Florida, a real small place outside of Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And, uh, guy, uh, he broke into a house, uh, him and, uh, a partner, Home invasion. It was an elderly couple in their seventies. He uh, shot over their heads to scare them. Ended up bounding their uh, binding their uh, arms and legs together with duct tape. Put duct tape over their eyes and mouth and left them there like that for I think it was over two days is what it was. And they just they stole their credit and debit cards. Went to ATM and just tried to clean out as much as they could and repeated uh, back and forth to various drug dealers with the cash they had and 
you know, then it turned out like, I guess because of the amount of drugs he probably did, he got so paranoid. I, I imagine, I don't know. He called the police and said, I've done this and come get me essentially. Oh, wow. They went out there, found him out, found him. He gave up without the incident, found the gun that he used. And while they were there, they, he also said there was a, I committed a murder and I guess they had enough uh, enough evidence that they could go and start searching around and they found a partial what they call uh, what they say uh, a possible human remain out behind the house in some woods but they'd been there for a while so if he did commit this murder it was a long time ago and he probably stashed the body there wow that that's also not, and I, I like that you, what you're doing is kind of a it's kind of niche it's a, you know we're throughout the all the true crime podcasts are out there there's all these different elements or pieces and a lot of us are hitting on the same part but you know the the, yeah. the the you're the you're the only one that I'm aware of that really focuses in on the initial part of these calls, and I, I just think it's cool that people get the opportunity to hear how they develop. Because I'm always looking for in the cases that, that that I cover, one of the first things I'm always trying to request is the 911 tape because I want you know you start reviewing yeah. the case file and you're looking at interviews the first day, and then when they interview them again a month later, and then again six months later, it's like I want to go back and hear what did this sound like when it first happened before anybody had time to really think this through. Uh, and that's that's what you get in every episode of Music City 911. Today we're going to talk about a case uh, that you covered called the Christmas Day bombing. And I'll let you go ahead and break down this case. Okay, so that that thing it happened. Um, I was working that day. Uh, kind of, I'll, I'll give you a little lead up as to what I I do on a normal day like this. I will, you know, go in. My shift starts at six thirty in the morning, and we're twenty four seven. So obviously, we work the holidays as well. Mm-hmm. Christmas Day is usually probably, I won't say it's the slowest day of the year, but usually it's one of the slowest days of the year. People mm-hmm. are with their families. You know, there's very little travel out on the, the interstates unless it's just going to a family member's house. And especially on day shift, people are, you know, sleeping pretty early in the morning, not that big a deal. So there's no shopping, there's no people at work, it's just slow. So I'll walk in and a normal day when I walk in, uh, and we've got a big dispatch room. For the most part, everybody's just sitting around and, you know, chilling out because it's uh, the end of the midnight shift that's not really busy. When I know something bad's going on, there's, you know, usually supervisors up walking around, other people walking around and walkies up to their their ears trying to figure out what's going on and I'll walk up to my radio assignment and I ask the guys like, what's going on? He says, there's a guy or there's a uh, RV downtown and it's playing this message has been doing this for a while. And it's been saying, you know, like leave the area. There's a bomb about to go off. And, you know, as he's telling me this, it's right at six 30 and he goes, and they said it just blew up. Like there was a little pause in his story and he said it just then. So I was like, all right, we'll just hop up. I'll, I'll jump on this and see what I I can get going. And the radio was on. It was our countywide dispatch, which mostly does, you know, you assign detectives and things like that. Uh, so this was downtown. It was in the central zone and they had their own thing. They were, you know, incredibly busy. I was incredibly busy because I was calling out the bomb squad and just all these other agencies and stuff like that to try to help out with it. And it was, it started, um, like I said, 630, right when my shift started and it continued for days after that, it was and still, actually, to this day, that section of Second Avenue where it blew up at, there's still buildings that have not been repaired. There's, you know, they just here a couple months ago opened up one lane so people could drive through there. Oh wow! So it's been like that for you know almost well about a year and a half now, I guess. So I only know downtown Nashville by the bars. <laughs> it, it was that is that is it close to the intersection of of Second and Broadway? Yeah, two blocks up from there. 
two blocks up. So in relation to Honky Tonk Central. Honky Tonk Central is at 4th and Broadway. Okay. Go down two blocks and then up two blocks. Okay. You know, if you go down towards the river from Honky Tonk Central uh-huh. and you take a left on a second and go up two blocks from there, that's where it happened at. Gotcha. So towards the stadium from Honky Tonk Central. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> that's my, my vast <laughs> knowledge of Nashville. <laughs> Um, yeah, I got to I got to take you to some better uh, Nashville bars than if you only go to Honky Tonk Central. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my wife and I slid in there one morning at eleven o'clock in the morning, and we were going to hit the rest of the yeah. bars. And we sat down right in front of the stage and had a Bloody Mary, and the band was awesome. And then the next yeah. band came up, and they were awesome. And then next thing we knew, it was two in the morning, and we were still sitting yeah. in the same spot, <laughs> just listening to all That's the what bands happens. all day long. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so and great then the next thing there. you know, you, you're hit with a three or four hundred dollar bar bill. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lucky for me, I didn't they like remember, the drinks in there. Yeah, I didn't remember doing it that night. The next day, I was like, "Why? What happened? Who spent three hundred dollars at the bar last night?" <laughs> like you did, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, so sorry, so so it, it, the explosion was so because I haven't been there since. I think the last time I was there was like 2019, and this was Christmas 2020, right? So yeah, we was gonna say that we we had already been hit with all this other stuff. Uh, earlier on in the year, we had a direct hit with a tornado that just decimated most of East Nashville, uh-huh. and it it continued on for miles past this into neighboring counties. Several people were killed, so that that was a big event uh, for us then. And then, of course, the next month, COVID hit, uh, kind of hit, uh-huh. and it shut down everything. Granted, Nashville was uh, it was only shut down, like really, really shut down for a couple months. Then they started limited opening, so. You know, they were making the bars and restaurants, stuff like that. They started making money again. And so that wasn't a huge thing, but it, overall it was for Nashville. But then, you know, other than just our normal stuff that we have, then you have right at the end of the year, we think, okay, 2020 is over with. We're going to make it past this. This guy blows up a uh, an RV right in the middle of downtown. God. And, and it must have been a pretty big bomb if it took out buildings with it. It damaged. Uh, there's different reports. Anywhere from 40 to 60 buildings directly around there, uh, tens of millions of dollars worth of damage uh, to several of them. And uh, it, if you, you probably hadn't been up that far, but uh, the biggest, like, really known place that it, it hit was there's a Hooters right on the corner of Second and Church Street. They had a lot of damage there. And the, the place he was actually targeting was an ATT kind of a junction. He previously worked for AT&T. His dad worked for Bell South, which AT&T bought them. And uh, he had all these different notions. And I guess he, you know, the reports say that he may have had cancer and he was kind of on the way out. And he had all these delusions like um, he believed that there was a, an alien reptile race that was uh, he would go in Montgomery Bell uh, State uh, Park. He would go out there and take infrared type you know, goggles or whatever, looking for these aliens that were, you know, obviously t- to him, they thought he thought they were real, but when he got out there was his infrared, he couldn't find them. And he said, Oh, well, obviously they're temperature changing as well. So <laughs> right. <laughs> he was a very, it, it seemed like he was a very smart man. As far as he, he was a computer tech for a long, long time. He, he knew all that stuff. He was obviously smart enough to concoct a, a bomb there in his backyard inside of an RV that was big enough to do all this. Um, but he obviously had a screw or two loose. Yeah. And the guy's name was Anthony Warner, right? 63 year old guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Long, Anthony long, Quinn Warner. Yeah. Yep. Long time resident of, of Nashville. So when he was, when they were putting out the, 
you know, he had that re- or was it recording or was he just speaking like into like a PA system telling people the bomb was coming? No, he it was actually uh, it was a combination of things. He had uh, kind of a countdown going. It was it was a combination. He uh, initially it, it, there was a recording saying there's a bomb inside this. Everyone evacuate, move away. Don't don't enter the, the RV or anything like that. So at that point, the police officers get down there. They start uh, evacuating the area. And granted, that is not like a highly populated area right there, especially that time, time of year. He actually, for what he it seems like he was trying to do anyway, he picked probably the most perfect time to do it where there would be as little human casualties and the most as far as property goes. I think total there, he was the only one that died in it. And I think there was maybe a total of eight people that were hurt, various minor injuries past that. So, uh, it was really lucky on that end, but yeah, the, the recording though, it was playing something, like I said, that that was saying, stay away from this. And then there was every 15 or can't, can't remember if it was every 15 or 30 minutes, there was a countdown marker saying one hour to go and then half hour to go. But then at 15, there was a full on countdown going and it would, bounce back and forth from that and the old song called downtown the 1950s song he was playing that also with it but it was a it wasn't his voice it was like a computer generated voice and it sounded if you if you watch some of the body cam uh footage they have of it it's the way that it's doing it sounds kind of like that movie the purge when they start up the purge so really computer like a female's voice and uh, it's just it was really really creepy wow that's nuts so, so talk about the 911 call there. So uh, we actually had several different 911 calls come in about this. The original one came in uh, from a woman saying that she heard a bunch of gunshots outside and they haven't been able to confirm that part of it. They did find shell casings inside uh, the RV. So if he was shooting, he was shooting inside the RV. Of course, at the same time, they know that some of the, in one of the videos, you can see clearly or hear clearly that some of the ammo is cooking off inside of this thing. So, uh, he, he could have been playing that over the intercom system, but then a little while later, they get another report of, uh, shots fired out there. The police are going around trying to find this. And then uh, I'm wanting to say it's about three hours before the bomb actually went off two or three hours. That's when the kind of timer and all the messages started going off. And some people were calling about that, but like I said, Nashville, now, most of the people that live in Nashville, especially downtown. They're not from Nashville, so it's kind of like what I've heard. I've not been to L.A., but on Christmas, apparently L.A. is a it's just a ghost town because nobody's actually from there. Everybody leaves and goes to their family. That's kind of how downtown was there. So it's 630 in the morning and none of the bars are open. They all closed. Um, you know, the, the latest closing time we have for any of the bars in Nashville is 3 a.m. So they had closed all the, you know, the drunks have gone home, so to speak. Everybody was off the street. The The only real thing that I know of uh, for anybody where there are a few homeless people out there sleeping in kind of hallways of businesses or, you know, open air places like that. And then you had a few people that were out walking their dogs that early. And that was really the only people that were out there. Yeah. So nobody was in any of the businesses that got blown up. No. Now, some of the businesses uh, like right above them, they have these, you know, lofts and uh, apartments and things like that. And there were some people in those. But there and there's a lot of security video from that as well. For the most part, their their furniture got shifted, their windows got blown out. But you know, they even them they didn't get hurt. There's there's a few people that were up there asleep, and they were they were falling out afterwards, and they were they were fine. I mean, I'm I'm really amazed if you see the video, the size of this blast. I'm surprised no one else got killed. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And sounds like the officers must have done a good job of 
of evacuating and taking the message seriously. Yeah. Yeah. They, they got as many people out as they could. Yeah. So how tough was it for you as a dispatcher? So you came in right, right as the bomb went off. So, so you were coordinating everything, helping coordinate everything afterward. What was that like? It was, it was just a mess all day long. I mean, cause you had various units checking in route to, you know, kind of like you were saying, like every unit checking in route on our countywide screen that I was uh, working that day, the dispatch radio, it was like that nonstop. It was people just checking in route. It was detectives and, you know, uh, we'd have a FBI unit might check in route and then we'd have another detective, another bomb squad tech. It was just constant nonstop. Plus the fact that, you know, we are focused on that, but also in the back of our mind, we're thinking possible secondary devices. Right. We actually had a, a couple of people call in. It turned out they were, it was nonsense saying, oh, we knew this was going to happen. And, uh, you know, there's a, another, there's other devices around or something like that. And I, I kind of pull that back to, uh, if you go all the way back to nine 11, after that happened, I worked nine 11 as well here in Nashville, but I was working second shift. I watched the whole thing go down on TV, just like everybody else did. But, you know, so I thought, okay, well, this is, you know, as far as us, how we're going to do it, it probably won't affect us at all. I was dead wrong about that. I get into work and they've got extra security out there for the whole center. And I'd probably say one out of every probably four or five calls is some lunatic saying they're going to do the same thing to various buildings here in Nashville or, oh, wow. or whatever. It just seemed like that, that was a, a sign to open, open the floodgates for anybody that had a, a beef against America or just, uh, you know, crazy in general. And they were calling us nonstop about it. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I can't even imagine how that would have been. I never even occurred to me how, what would have been going on, you know, across the country after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's one of the things I, I've, uh, I've done a couple episodes on that too. And it's, it's way different than what people think it's, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in New York city or, you know, Washington, uh, any of these places actually got hit. It would be insane. Yeah, I'm sure. So before I let you go, people tune into the tune into the podcast. Do you have a, do you have a favorite episode that you would you would direct them to that you need to check out either when you just love producing or you think it's one of the better ones you did? I'll tell you, like after I did, uh, I did a two part on Waco. That's one of the very few I did a deep dive on. And, you know, I guess the reason I, I did that a couple things. Uh, my birthday is when it's uh, April 19th. It happened that day. So on my birthday, I'm seeing this place go up in flames. That kind of stuck out with me. I guess it was, uh, I can't even remember when I did the episode now, last year, year before I saw that series they had, it was on Netflix for a while. And, and I, I was watching, I was like, I wonder if that's what really happened. And I started diving into it and you know, they, they had some things right, but they did not, they did not go nearly as deep as they really should have. There was a lot of stuff that happened way before that. And the reports they had from independent uh, investigators afterwards, there's a lot they didn't mention on the show. That's great. So what, what 911 calls did you have from, from that case? Did you have like people calling from inside the compound? Yeah. Uh, actually there was a couple from inside and there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of available calls from uh, David Koresh himself. Oh, really? He was talking with one of the negotiators. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff available from that. It's, um, I've, I've not heard too many other true crime podcasts about this, but I know there, there are a ton, but, um, people afterwards, after I did that, they were messaging me saying, I never heard this stuff before. This is amazing. And I, I was doing nothing, but like looking at the actual documents themselves, I think that people didn't really, um, go into those. Wow, that's awesome! Well, I'll definitely be checking that one out. So you can you can uh, learn about the two parter on Waco. We got the Christmas Day bombing. 
His name is Brandon Hall. The podcast is called Music City 911. Check it out. Could be your next big true crime binge. Brandon, thanks so much for the work you do and for uh, that. Because I think dispatchers are, it's a thankless job. Uh, but you guys, you guys do a lot for emergency <laughs> services. Uh, and, and thanks for coming on the show, man. It was great to meet you. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me. Nice meeting you too. Yep. And also the day we're recording this happy birthday to you tomorrow, I guess. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's tomorrow. I forget about it every once in a while. <laughs> right. Oh, and real quick too. You're going to be, at, uh, this is be, will be airing right before crime cons for anybody that's going, you are, you're doing a session called the nine one one experience and you'll be on podcast row as well. So I'm sure I'll meet you in person while we're there. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I saw that you were doing, uh, doing one as two, uh, as well. And, uh, yeah, I'll absolutely meet you. I'm going to try to meet as many podcasters as I can there. And of, of course, any fan that's, that's out there as well. Awesome. We're well, looking forward to meeting you. Check out music city, nine one one Brandon. Thanks a lot, buddy. Uh, thank you, man. Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening, and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.